On this episode of the Reclaiming Garden podcast, we are interviewing Brad Onishi, who is the host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast, um, and also doing some really cool research around Christian nationalism. Um, mm-hmm. His book uh, just came out three days ago, as well, uh, as of this recording. We were also, <laughs> speaking of recording, we were going to record this little intro-outro in person at QCF conference, and then we just had too much damn fun. So now uh, we're yeah. it, was, <laughs> it was just like, oh, we should probably get this done at some point, and yeah. now- this is the day before release and we're recording <laughs> as we are jet lagged yes we're both very tired um but our next episode is going to be um our re our recap of everything but yeah this was an awesome interview with brad onishi and his book preparing for war is out now um if you are have ever been interested in learning about christian nationalism and the history of the rise of the moral majority and Christianity in America um, is definitely a great book to read by someone who is very well-versed in the subject. Dr. Bradley Onishi is a scholar of religion and co-host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast. His writing has been published in the New York Times, LA Review of Books, and Religion and Politics, among other outlets. He holds degrees from Azusa Pacific University, Oxford University, and oh my gosh, well, you studied in Paris, L'Institut Catholique de Paris, and he received his PhD from the University of California at Santa Barbara. A TEDx speaker and the author, editor, or translator of four previous books, Onishi teaches at the University of San Francisco and lives in the Bay Area with his wife and daughter. Welcome to the show, Bradley. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. yeah, we've been looking forward to having you on for a while. I think last I year was when we did our, we did a Christian nationalism episode. On, oh, it was, it was in January. Yeah, that we were. Yeah, it was January. Yeah, it was almost a year ago and we did and it, it on January and what's 6th. Interesting, so that episode experienced a surge in listens after um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I never want that to be a reason that our podcast gets popular all of a sudden, but you know, I, I, I know, I, I know that feeling. Uh, sometimes your, your, your content uh, is more in demand when bad things happen and you have to kind of um, realize that you wish that wasn't, you know, that mm-hmm. people didn't need to be interested in this stuff, but they, yeah. they do. So yeah, it's, like, it's relevant. Um, oh no. <laughs> straight, straight white American Jesus was on my Spotify wrapped as one of my top podcasts this year. And so then oh. when I saw that, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm interviewing him in a few weeks. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Um, yeah, so Anna, do you want to ask our starting question? Yeah, of course. So we start every episode um, with a very simple question. Um, it's not hard to think about at all, but tell us about your faith journey. Uh, where did you start? Uh, where? How have you ended up where you ended up? Um, that whole sort of thing. And of course, we'll, we're willing to go down whatever rabbit holes you're willing to take us down. Sure. Um, so I uh, grew up with a Japanese American dad from Maui and a white mom from Tennessee. Um, dad was sort of nominally Buddhist uh, growing up. He, you know, he mowed the lawn at the Buddhist temple, and everyone in his life was Buddhist. But it was in a way that was pretty nonchalant. Well, same with my mom uh, when it came to being a Christian. Um, she kind of did the whole church thing, you know, casually, but it wasn't a big part of their life. When they got married, I think they just decided to leave religion out just to try to have some kind of peace uh, in the house, which didn't exactly work. They did get divorced. Um, So didn't grow up religious. And then at age 14, um, I was a little juvenile delinquent punk who was getting in trouble, um, you know, suspended from school and sex, drugs, rock and roll, this kind of stuff. And my then like eighth grade girlfriend invited me to Bible study on a Wednesday night. And I was like, 
this is the perfect plan because mom would never let me see my girlfriend on a weekday, much less maybe let me out of the house on, on at night on a weekday. But there's no way she's going to tell me no to church because like I'm getting in trouble all the time. So as soon as I said Bible study, she was like, yeah, let's get in the car. Let's go right now. Um, my plan was to like meet girlfriend, see if we could go like make out in the field somewhere. And because I figured like church was going to be hella boring and just terrible. Um, but when I got there, uh, there was just like these cool young leaders, as you both know about youth groups, like these dudes with tattoos mm -hmm. and guitars. And there was like video Phoenix. games and people, right? <laughs> oh, actually, the, Anna's dressed up the, as a pastor for Halloween before. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it, it was unfortunately accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh car lens glasses maybe um yeah so uh, yeah anyway um basically everything you imagine about like a southern california mega church youth group was there mm -hmm. and i was you know i had like different colored hair and was dressed like a grunge person 90s kid and i expected them to be like get out of here you punk and they were just like cool hair bro come on in here's like the punk band christian mxpx stuff and have some pizza. And so um, my girlfriend dumped me very soon after, but I like was a Jesus freak uh, within months, like um, went to church every time they had a little youth group event, uh, Wednesday Bible study, Sunday camp, all that. Um, I was in ministry by the time I was 18. And then by the mm -hmm. time I was 20, uh, I was full-time youth ministry. I was married and I was in Christian college. So um, was in charge of 200 kids um wow. by the time wow. second year of college ended so that was you know good that is <laughs> that a was lot a thing. yeah so there you go there's the there's the starter pack <laughs> for sure what do you think drew you um to christianity specifically and specifically i guess the brand of evangelical megachurch land i guess you know i didn't know any other kind so right. it just felt yeah. like you know um, and I just, I, I really expected it to be super just bored, like people wearing slacks and like Ned Flanders and, mm -hmm. and they weren't, you know, they, everyone was super nice and they were like, it's not about, you know, you all, you both know the story. It's not about religion. religion it's a relationship. Jesus, yeah. And <laughs> Jesus, for, you know, Jesus forgives you and he'll give you eternal life and the Bible's a love letter. Um, so that all felt like unexpected and unexpectedly good. And then I was just like a super interior person you know like it kind of foreshadowed a life as a professor just like way overthinker, um prone to depression prone to anxiety um kind of person who like sneaks out after dinner and like stares at the sky and wonders what is life about when he's 13 and ends up acting out uh because mm -hmm. no one can answer his questions kind of you know and so like mm -hmm. all of a sudden my questions were answered with people mm -hmm. that had like a real interest in digging deep into like the meaning of life and you know, uh, what it all meant. And I was like, this is great. And this, and, and we can like have pizza parties and go surfing. Like I'm in, let's do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I can yeah. understand how that would draw, especially like, cause I know that I was definitely drawn to that. Um, going from like a conservative evangelical church to a evangelical mega church. It was like, ah, oh, these people are like, cool. And they don't care. Yeah, that I go to public like sort of, yeah <laughs> it is interesting to see how like that sort of infusion of pop culture and Christianity sort of continued with like my generation. I'm technically, I guess, on the older end of Gen Z. 
Uh, and like, you know, there would be, I don't know if you ever heard of the coolfaith.com t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, uh, the one that, I mean, I honestly still have one that says, uh, silly rabbit, Jesus is for everyone because I'm like, guess what? Jesus is for the gays too, but. <laughs> you reclaim that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. yeah, there was like all that kind of thing. And of course, like the Christian music festivals that only like were like 10 bucks to get into. <laughs> yep. Oh, the, the amount of Friday nights I spent like in church basements, listening to like obscure punk and like, I'm way older than you. So back then there was like hella ska bands everywhere. Right. Oh my so, gosh. I know. I know. Please roast, <laughs> what a roast me. Of its time. Like, please feel free to roast me behind my no, back. It's okay. but, um, yeah. So all of that jazz, like all of the, the church uh, concerts and the like mega festivals and let's go to Knott's Berry Farm and hear 20 Christian band kind of nights. So, Wait, yeah. Knott's Berry Farm had like Christian band? Oh, dude. Huh. So Knott's Berry Farm um, is super, if you ever read up about Knott's Berry Farm, the Knott family is super libertarian and they were oh. right there in the like Orange County conservative oh. 1960s when... Ronald Reagan and Barry Goldwater and John Wayne were all getting started. So if you read about the, mm. um, the, the Orange County of the 60s, 70s, the Knots were really mm. into making it the kind of like white libertarian Christian haven that it, you know, is oh. notorious for being. Yeah. That actually, like, I was a Knott's Berry Farm kid because my family couldn't afford Disney. Um, yep. And that, I didn't know any of that aspect of the Knott family, but it makes perfect sense. Yep. And I, yep. I, as someone who went to UC Irvine for a couple of years and was very much in conservative, white conservative, rich people land, it was, it actually does make a whole lot of sense. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's a great book um, by, there's two books. Lisa McGurr wrote a book called Suburban Warriors and uh, Darren Dochik um, wrote a great book um, about the Sunbelt migration, but both of them will give you like more than you'd ever want to know about the not family being like embroiled with Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, Pat Boone. Anna, could you like write those down? Yeah. I feel like when our guests mention yes. resources, we like end up forgetting about them. <laughs> Absolutely. What were they called again? So the, the one that I would just say is like Lisa McGurr, um, M-C-G-I-R-R, and it's called Suburban Warriors. And um, it'll blow your mind just about how... Orange County is like responsible for so many, um, so much of our conservative politics today. Oh um, yeah, I can imagine. And and uh, like my whole Orange Wave series, um, I really drew on that book, like, hmm. um, in in almost every episode. So, so um, yeah. Um, something that I'm curious about: How did you go from like this Jesus freak in youth ministry to someone who's now a scholar on religious nationalism? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What a what a uh, twisted life. Um, so um, I, you know, they, and you all know this story too. They always say, if you read too many books, uh, your heart, uh, well, you know, your brain will lead your heart away from God. And so they were right. Mm -hmm. um, so I was at Azusa specific. Um, I was a philosophy major. I read all these books. And then, you know, by the time I'm a senior there, I'm, um, I'm reading as much as I can, like church history, theology, mm -hmm. philosophy, and then they want me to go to seminary after I graduate and I go to the seminary at Azusa Pacific. And so I just kind of stay on that track. Um, and, you know, by the end of my first year in seminary, I had like branched out so hard. I was reading all these like Catholic theologians and Orthodox and Methodist and Episcopalian. And um, I realized 
there's like a huge variety of ways you can be Christian and they're actually really kind of cool. Like I'm really loving reading these, you know, liberation theologians and I'm loving reading these feminist theologians and I need to hide the books when I go to church cause I'll get mm. in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of gradually was like, I can't, I don't fit here anymore because our theology mm. is based on conservative politics. It's not based on the word of God or on, on Christian history. So like, by the time I'm 23, I would stand up in front of like 200 people in the youth group and 2,000 people at the church and wasn't sure if I believed in God anymore, wasn't sure if God was a woman. I, would, I knew nothing. I was just like so confused about everything. So my wife at the time and I devised this plan. We were like, how do we get out of here? <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna, I want to be a theologian. I want to go to grad school. She was like, well, I, she was a, an athlete. She's like, I want to play basketball like professionally. I was like, well, let's move to the UK. And so we did. And um, I applied to all these master's programs and didn't think I'd get in, but I I somehow did. And so we moved to um, Oxford and I started this theology program I had no business being in and was not prepared for. Um, But that was our out. Like we told everyone at the church, like, oh, we can't stay. We're going to Oxford. And they were like very wowed by England. They thought it was very fancy. And so they, they didn't sort of give me too much issue about it. Um, and so by the time I landed in England, I was so burnt out from ministry. I, I mean, by the, from, from age 14 to age 24, mm. I'd either been a like youth group kid or a full-time minister. Um, Dang. so I was like, you know, I'm going to like get there and I'm going to, I'm going to read all the theology I want. No one can police me. And I'm going to like go to Methodist churches and learn about social justice. And I'm going to like go to like crazy hella like high church Episcopal uh, Anglican churches over there that have smells and bells. And we're going to like have incense and wine. It's going to be amazing. And, um, you know, and I I realized very quickly after like six months of being there that like, I just didn't want to go to church at all. Like I was done. Mm. I was done. And um, yeah, I just, and, and I, a lot of my friends are still theologians and Christians and you know what I mean? But I just, it just, I just couldn't find a place I wanted to be. Um, my wife and I decided to get divorced. She was like, I want to go home and we're not 14 anymore. We're, we had been together since I, we were 14. Mm. So oh, wow. we were high school. Yeah. We were high school. So like, you're a little different when you're 14 and 24. Um, yeah, absolutely. and we kind of realized that when we left our hometown and our church and we were just like alone in England, we were like, Oh, we maybe shouldn't be married anymore. I'm not sure we have that much in common. So it was like very amicable, but it was very weird to be like six months ago. I was just like community mentor youth pastor guy that people said hi to in the coffee shop and now i'm like divorced i don't go to church and um i live in like a dorm room next to 19 year olds um this is a this is not the arc i thought i was going to be living but Mm -hmm. here it is you know what i mean so yeah right i know especially because like not only is that a massive like physical move but being able to realize that, oh, wow, there are so many different ways to be a Christian after having been told that there was only one way to mm-hmm. properly do so. Yeah, and that, like, there was no curiosity about other denominations, you know? It was just, like, I feel like the only sort of references were, like, oh, yeah, like, these people are still the brothers and sisters, but, like, we just think that, you know, denominations are divisive. And it's, like, what does that even fucking mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, like, these churches these churches are LGBT affirming. So they're clearly not Christians. I mean, that's what I was taught. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, so I started going to those churches when I got to England or, 
um, Catholics aren't aren't actual. You know what I mean? I was taught all uh-huh. these things that Catholics aren't. Oh actually, yeah, really. Well, you know they pray I mean? the saints. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. So, um, but yeah, like so that was and my college there was a Baptist college, so it was like a you know the Baptists in the UK are dissenters; they don't follow the the Church of England. So there was it was kind of a soft landing for me because even though I wasn't really going to church, like all my friends were training to be Baptist ministers. Um, some of them were gay. Right. And I was just like, it was like all like such a learning curve of like, Oh, um, the world is not this huge, scary, um, mm-hmm. you know, godless place where everyone is yeah. mean to it's actually like, I, I'm, I love meeting these folks are amazing. Like I got, you know, you know how it is when you meet these folks, you've been told your whole life are like supposed to be, you're supposed to be scared of. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I am so happy. I get to talk to you and learn from you. And like, we get to go have a glass of wine or, um, you know, cup of coffee and just like talk to it. I don't know. It was, it was a really yeah. rich time in my life. You know Yeah. And I, mean? I think like when you're being told like, oh, this is dangerous, this will cause you to quote unquote go astray or this, like this, like you become almost hyper aware and everything can in theory become a threat. And then mm. all of a sudden when you realize, oh, wait a minute, like not everyone in the world is scheming to get me off the straight and narrow, <laughs> then it's, a lot easier to kind of exist among others. Yeah, like I remember going, um, my college at Oxford uh, shared a wall with the Eagle and Child, which is where the J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to mm-hmm. hang out. And um, I remember going around the corner there with some other graduate students, the- theology students, and like ordered a beer and drank it. And like the devil didn't drag me to Hades and I like didn't <laughs> die. And I was like, oh, that was fun. I'm not, yeah. I don't feel as if my life just ended or Side note, my... um, I have been to the Eagle and Child. I like, um, when I studied abroad in Paris in 2018, I had like a two week spring break. And so one of the days I spent doing a very C.S. Lewis visit to Oxford. Yes. I visited like his house and like the place where it was buried, the church that he attended and then ate dinner at Eagle and Child. So that was very fun. There it is. That's, so That's cool. awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. You want to, did you go to, um, yeah, there's so many places you can go in Oxford to, to kind of visit C.S. Lewis. So that's really yeah. good. That's awesome. His ha- Do people still live at his house? I know they have like... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think some like grad yeah. students and such. And then like yeah. the, the our tour guide, like we like actually scheduled, I guess, like a tour. And the tour guide was this like this bumbly old man who would just could just spout out facts about C.S. Lewis. It was really fun. <laughs> I can I can picture that man in Oxford. Like I know, I know exactly what that man looks like. I know what he sounds like. I know how he walks. You know what I mean? Like there's this whole, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, and so you also you also studied at the Institut Catholique? Yeah. So I I basically after um two years in Oxford, I wanted to stay there. Um but uh, there was no money. I didn't have any like funding, and so I would have had to take out like a ton of loans, more loans. I already had loans. Um and so I applied to PhD programs, and the one I ended up choosing was UC Santa Barbara, which is really good for religious studies. People don't know that. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So, like, my okay. choices were stay at Oxford, go to Stanford, or go to UCSB, and I chose UCSB, and my, you know, grandmother was very disappointed. My Japanese grandmother was very disappointed in me. Uh, she's like, <laughs> we could have had someone in our family go to Stanford, and you chose UCSB. You're just going to, like, drink mm. <laughs> beer on the beach and play you know volleyball with people in bikinis and i'm like no i'm not i'm choosing this for professional reasons but yeah um also i'm sure stanford do students do that as well sometimes Mm -hmm. yes exactly (laughs) all of you cardinal listening we know you have fun uh one Mm -hmm. day a year so um okay um 
but yeah, so um, UCSB is like way too close to home. I did not want to be there. I had just left. I was figuring out my life. And here I am like two hours from where I grew up. I'm now close enough to go home for, you know, Thanksgiving or mom's birthday. And I just, I really had to recalibrate my relationship with my family and my home because I was no longer kind of uh, on uh, pilgrimage, you know, halfway across the world. I was back home. And so it, that was a lot. And it, it took a lot of like maneuvering and adjusting and there were hard patches, but you know, it, it all, it all happened. And then once I got to UCSB, you know, that's a public school and that, they do religious studies there. They don't do theology, right? So they're going to study religion historically and philosophically mm -hmm. and sociologically. And that's where I really made that conscious decision. Like, I'm no longer religious, but I'm going to stay in the religion game. And I'm going to study it through all these various methods. Um, because I still think that this is the, the place where I can ask the really important questions about what it means to be a human being and what it means mm -hmm. um, to live in this universe. And so... Um, so I stayed in that kind of realm and my whole scholarly life at that time was basically focused on this set of uh, 20th century French thinkers who were mainly secular and atheist, mm -hmm. um, but who regularly read and wrote about medieval mystics, right? Mm -hmm. So Jacques Derrida and Maurice Blanchot and George Bataille, these are all quote unquote secular people or non-Christian people. And yet they're always like quoting 14th century mystics or, um, you know, Trays of Avila or um, Pseudo-Dionysus, uh, Meister Eckhart, so on and so forth. So my whole dissertation was on that. And so this led me to Paris. And so I, I, I ended up living in Paris two times and um, getting a degree at the Institut Catholique and translating a book by a French philosopher and that whole thing. So it was this whole other chapter of like going back to Europe and um, all, all of that. So anyway, yes. What area did you live in in Paris? Sorry, I'm just being like a French culture nerd right now. But <laughs> so I, I had the most my I have a very twisted life. So I, um, I lived at the Institut Catholique, which is in the six. It's oh. right. It's right next. It right near Jardin. You know, the, the garden right near Jardin de Luxembourg. Talking about gardens oh, today. Cool. And I lived at the seminary with all the seminarians training to be Jesuit priests and monks. So I had a, like a room that was like a closet. And every morning I would wake up and go downstairs and eat my breakfast with Catholic priests, Catholic monks, Catholic like recluses. Um, they would always ask me like, what are you doing here? And I would always be like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I have no idea how I got here, but, um, but here I am. Um, and so uh, it, for living in that part of, I mean, if you all are listening, you know, April and I are talking Paris, like, uh it's so expensive that part of paris and so mm -hmm. i got to live for like five i think my rent was like 500 euros a month and that included like um mm. food and utilities and um library and all that stuff um so it was a good deal uh if you're willing to live in a closet and hang out with priests so where <laughs> did you live uh when you were there april oh um i so and thankfully, of course, like the whole thing was included in tuition because it was a study abroad thing. But um, I lived in Malakoff, which was like just south of yep. Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the actual building where I took classes was close to the Gardens of Luxembourg as well. I got off at like Vavon, the metro station, yep. Vavon. Yeah. Yeah. I live like three blocks from there. Pretty oh, much. wow. Um, yeah. So, um, yes. So I feel like um, Paris is like an X that you always... Um, 
you want to tell everyone you're over and then like as soon as you go there again you realize you're still in love with them and you oh, will never yeah. be over them you know what I mean? like whenever people yeah. ask me about paris now i'm like no i have better place no i'm not going back there i'm going i'm gonna if i have vacation i'm going and then if i go there i'm like i'm so in love with you how did i ever leave you and i'll never be over this for the rest of my, <laughs> oh my life gosh. no i definitely like I definitely like it was so sad for me to leave especially because like Paris was such an interesting experience for me because like I had just sort of I studied abroad like in the spring of 2018 and like at the end of 2017 is when I came out to myself and so it was like uh we had a little bit of there but before that I was talking about Paris and my experience so yeah I had just sort of thought myself as queer and then like I sort of when I was looking for churches to attend in Paris, you, you know, you'd think at that time it would be the perfect moment for me to like experiment with kind of different kinds of churches. Instead, I chose to go to the French Evangelical Church. I think because like, I was still clinging to like something familiar in the midst of like a foreign country and everything. Um, and also like I did want to go to like a French speaking church, but not a Catholic one. And so, um, yeah, so I guess like I, yeah, I joined it and like, Oh, what's so wild is that actually a few days ago or like a couple weeks ago, someone messaged me being like, hi, I'm a French student and I'm like exploring LGBTQ and, and Christian identity. And like, I saw that we have like two, two mutual friends on Facebook and I was like, oh yeah, those are, those are friends that I met at this, at this evangelical church. And like, she had a similar experience where she was like, oh, it was like, they were really friendly, but then like, you know, I knew that they weren't affirming. So, yep. Yep. Um, yep. but it is interesting that now like I have that weird moment allowed me to connect to her and I'll hopefully be able to give her like more researches on or bleh, more resources on the topic so yeah that's cool dang um, small world that's awesome yeah, it is a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah so that was it was a great experience um but um you know from there I uh, became a professor and when the Trump presidency happened um decided to Kind of use my my weird life as a former insider and then now a scholar to like talk about trumpism christian nationalism all that so that's what led to straight white american jesus and and this whole um this whole thing and so yeah that's kind of how i went from southern california youth pastor to you know <laughs> talking about white mm -hmm. nationalism every week so yeah yeah and how did the book come about your new book that's going to be coming out you know, I did um, a couple of years ago, I, I really wanted to figure out more about where I grew up and I wanted to take a like historical approach. So I, I, I dug in Orange County hard and I dug into the religious dimensions of it. And I created this series called The Orange Wave, uh, which is basically kind of an audio docuseries. It includes interviews with like Kristen Kobus Dumay and Sarah Posner and... Um, uh, Ann Nelson and Randall Balmer and, and all these folks, Christy Stroop. Um, and it also just includes a lot of my story. And But it also includes basically this argument that like, it, it's easy to think of the South and, and the Bible Belt as the kind of origins of a lot of what we see today. But um, Orange County really holds a lot of keys to understanding it. If you want to think about where we got the, the GOP of today, you should look to 1960s Orange County. Oh. Absolutely. Like it makes perfect sense to like looking at who's in charge. They're all like rich, conservative mm -hmm. white men. All of like, it. Like tiny little aside is when I was living in Irvine, the um, broadcasting building for TBN yep. was still a thing. Um, and for people that don't know what this building looks like, it looks like a massive white 
like I think it looks like a castle or a palace in a way where it's just like, wow, how many people did this network have to scam yep. to get this built? Um, and I think it's since been transported and trans like it's now a different kind, like it houses something else. Now it doesn't house TVN, but it was just like, this is gross. And then when you're in Orange County, it's all it's, or a lot. It's all mega churches. It, it, I mean, and ro- like right down the road from you was Robert Schuler's Chris Cathedral, which is no longer the Christ Cathedral. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's something it's called something else now, but it's still... what is the Crystal Cathedral? So the Crystal Cathedral opens like in 1953, I believe it um they and it's like the original mega church they had mm-hmm. he he moves there from the midwest but he he can't find a, a property so he rents a, a a a drive-in movie theater and they have church in a drive-in movie like he he gives you a speaker and he preaches from the snack bar okay in the 50s this was unheard of right mm-hmm. and it was this whole new way of doing church where he's like look i'm not going to ask you to come in i'm not going to ask you to join a political organizing campaign. I'm not going to ask you to feed poor people. I'm not going to ask you to vote. You know what I want? I want you to come to church in your jeans, uh, listen to a short sermon, uh, great music, 45 minutes, then you get to go home. What do you say, folks? And people loved it. And you know what I'm also going to tell you is I'm not upset if you're wealthy. I actually think that's great. And you know what's the worst? Communism. You know what's the best? Capitalism. You know what's the best? Individualism. You know what's the worst? Collective action. And all of these white Orange County people who worked for the defense industry, because that's why people live in Orange County, is the defense industry was central. Because it was also just like farm, because it was farmland for such a long time. For sure. Right. And so all of them are like, work for the defense industry and are like, wait a minute, anti communism, pro capitalism, pro wealth. I get to come here in my jeans, listen in the car. This is awesome. Let's do it. And before you know it, it turns into like a 20,000 person church. And that's where you get the the kind of like land of mega church in, in Southern California. Um, and so anyway, Southern California includes Ronald Reagan. It includes Richard Nixon. It includes um, where did family uh, focus on the family start? Arcadia, which is like not Orange yep. County, but it's like 20 minutes outside of Orange County. It is like I live um, like five minutes from Arcadia, so I know exactly <laughs> where it is. Right? And so like, then- first time I heard that, I was like, oh, so no. then the family moved to Colorado then, right? They moved to yeah, Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs. But yeah. James Dobson, it was all Southern California, right? Um, so, you know, you have you have that whole connection. Uh, Biola is a huge power player in the early days mm-hmm. of early of evangelicalism, yeah. and that's, that's in La Mirada. So- um, where does Billy Graham become famous? Well, he gives these like rallies in Los Angeles. Um, and that was really the, the big jumping point. Yeah. John Wayne. And there's also like the Azusa Street um, thing that the revivals and whatnot. You discussed the sort of socioeconomic like status of like Orange County and how that sort of contributed to the development of megachurches. That, that makes me wonder if a similar thing is happening in my home county right now, Loudoun County, which is statistically the richest county in the United States. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. And, and because if you give people like a pro-capitalist entrepreneurial Christianity, right, mm-hmm. that says like, we're not going to make you feel bad about wealthy. We love that you're an individual. Just we'll, we'll give your kids a great children's program and climbing wall. And here's a latte. Mm-hmm. And you know, church camps. Not, I and church camp. We're not going to make you like be Lutheran. We're not going to get in here and be like, hey, can you come to the committee meeting? Can you like help us balance the budget? 
hey, we need to be Methodist. Like, no, we, we won't tell you. You know what I mean? Like rich, affluent suburbanites, this is this is like prefabbed for them. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I remember my great aunts, when they found out I was going to Irvine, they were like trying to come up with all the churches I could go to. And they're like, oh, Saddleback, it's Tattoo Church because I guess it was the hip church for young people. Um, it's not like no. I don't like I when I like. Rock I'm Harbor. Sure... Could have been at Rock Harbor. Rock Harbor. What's Rock Harbor? That's like the real tattoo. Oh, that's the real tattoo church. <laughs> I'm like when I think of Rick Warren, I don't think of like no, that's hip, not cool him church that's time. Rock. <laughs> yeah. No, Rick. If you're not over fifty, like Rock Harbor is this church in Orange County that I'm not kidding. It was the most Orange County church ever. It's like you have to have like four tattoos. Um, if you're not in the top 15% of good looking people on earth, we probably don't want you. Right. Like, Ooh. you know, in, in like nuclear family, you know, like when you think of like Christian influencer, like blonde woman, like yeah. drinking a pumpkin spice latte with husband named Logan, who's like a real estate agent <laughs> and like, Damn, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like that's rock Harbor. So, yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, know I did go to Mariners for like a hot second and it was the exact same thing, like $10,000 light rig burrito stand oh my god did, and did y'all see the video that um the video that like well i know that new Ev- the new evangelicals posted it like about the guy who was like on this thing preparing for the christmas service yeah 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 oh, ring coming down with the drums yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah Mar- mariners is like rock harbor light oh shoot okay yeah yeah dang yeah so anyway but yeah it's it's so like it's so unfortunate it's so interesting to think that like that is where most of conservatism nowadays has come from it's not from as and it's sad because like i feel like a lot of times these conservative politicians and evangelical people in power are pandering to people who don't have an education yeah. people who don't have money people who are very low on the socioeconomic scale mm. like that brand of politics was and like we know this, like, but it's like that brand of politics was never ever made for them. It was made for the rich suburbanites. Yep. But for some reason, it speaks to some. It speaks to people on that level, and it's just really, ugh. It's just it's gross. It's so gross. It's so exploitative. I, I think the way you said it though just now is perfect. I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. It's like you know we we hear about trickle down economics, but it's like trickle down Christianity with mm-hmm. certain economics built in. Um, and one of the other things about Orange County, it's where the John Birch Society really got going. And that's the the conspiracy um, theories of the 60s that like Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist agent and that um, public school teachers were like exposing themselves to kids to teach health. Um, so all of that, like parental choice, uh, you know, uh, get the divisive ideologies called CRT out of our schools. Um, these teachers are groomers. All of that comes from the 60s. Yeah. And all of that was really built in the, in the suburban enclaves of Orange County and other locales. So when I dug into all that, I was like, um, this is a whole series. So I did this 10 episode series and then eventually I basically turned it into a book. It's not, it's not a book about Orange County, but it is a book about where a lot of what we see are happening today, um, originated and in some of the, the ways that, um, Christian nationalists have been preparing for war for, for 60 years and, and, we shouldn't be surprised, you know? Yeah. And it was always like, we're going to take back this country for God. Yep. And like, 
even in like the worship songs, like, what is it? Like, I may never march in the infantry. Like, it's all very militaristic. And so, yeah. and I think it's the insidious thing, yeah. like, I guess as a, I don't know if you resonate with this, Anna, as like a teenager growing up in that sort of church culture, you don't necessarily realize that, you know, you don't know the context of the history. And that's why oh, like, no, I, no. Was, I was surprised, you know, when, like, when I saw my church celebrate Trump's win, like, despite the fact that I had just grown up in that church, I was surprised because I was like, this isn't, this isn't the values that you taught me. This isn't, this doesn't make sense. Um, it was only like until later that I would fully understand the sort of whole history that like this, this is what they had been working for. And they kind of, I mean, me and Anna like to say that they got their, you know, fucking 30 pieces of silver this year <laughs> when the Roe v. Wade yeah. returned. So it's like, you can't take it with you when you die. So enjoy it while you're here, <laughs> I guess. Yep. For sure. No. I, and I, I think one of the arguments I make in the book is that, you know, it wasn't about holding your nose to vote for Trump. It was like they've been waiting for this candidate for a long time. And, you know, to some, as you're saying, April, like some of for some people is like, wait a minute, this is, has nothing to do with our values. And other people are like, this is who we've been waiting for my whole life. Um, yeah. Barry Goldwater was this brusque, uh, hyper masculine senator. And then Ronald Reagan was the Hollywood actor. And George W. Bush was the evangelical. And Rush Limbaugh was this like terrible voice of a far right rate. And you put them all together and you get Donald Trump. And it's like, wow, this was engineered. This is this is not hold your nose. This is can't believe we get the vote for this guy because he's our dream, you know. And it just it just drives me so nuts because it's like, what Bible are you even reading? If you're even even like I doubt you're reading it at all at this point. And like, of course, there is the notion like the same Bible that was used to abolish slavery was the same Bible that was used to justify slavery. Everyone interprets it different ways. But it's like, what? Like, Jesus didn't ask for insurance cards before he healed people or like discriminate. Like, it's well, I know, Brad, on your podcast, you've talked about how a lot of these, like, Christian nationalists, when they say Christian, they mean people like us. They don't even necessarily need to appeal to, like, the Bible or even re- any religious themes. It's, like, this whole... Yeah. Yeah. It, it just sucks. Know, well, and I think in, in a lot of ways, it's it's a cultural identity, right? That it's a story you tell about yourself. And so you don't even need to check that story with the biblical stories. You can just tell the story about yourself and your country. And that's good enough. You know what I mean? And so when, when, and I think Gen Z really sees this, right? I think Gen Z is like, this doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, nothing is sacred Gen yeah, Z. And it makes me like, so like, what's so interesting, I think that like, looking back on some of my Ethiopian experiences, I think they were trying to somehow sort of change the way they dress certain things in order to avoid like the, the millennial exodus that happened. They were trying to avoid that with Gen Z, but it's like, no, you still did the same shit. It's just happening again. Like, like no. you, you, yeah. Well, and you know, they'll, they'll change, you know, if you go back to the mega church, they'll like change up the music and they'll like mm-hmm. wear the skinny jean, you know, back, back when it was millennials, it's like, we're, and, like we they'll, they'll say, they'll say, yeah. oh my God, yeah. often purity culture, they'll be like, well, sex is really good. It's a really yeah. good thing, but like only in the context of marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all branding. It's not changing any of the product in any way. And so, yeah. um, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a couple of nights ago. And I guess by the time this is released, it will have been a couple of months ago. Um, I was with my partner and bless her. She loves riddles. 
She, there was a riddle on a poster and it was right outside of a church that was proselytizing. She's like, ooh, a riddle. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, and then we got trapped. And so I basically spent like 30 minutes talking to a pastor and being like, he's like, why did Jesus die on the cross? And I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily believe in substitutionary atonement. Um, and he's like, he died for our sins. I'm like, well, Paul said that. Jesus never said that. And he got that look in his eye of like, whoops. <sighs> I'm like, he was like, what? Dare you speak against a human being who has <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, well, was, Jesus, was Jesus flawless? I'm like, I don't know. Like, there, it kind of goes from him being a toddler to 12, and then we skip a few decades, and then he's 30. Like, it's, <laughs> like, who, I don't know. Like, the Bible never actually says. And, like, bless my partner, we're walking away. She's like, first of all, she apologized. She's like, I'm so sorry. I should have listened to you. I should have listened. I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. And she's like, but I wasn't going to leave without you getting the last word in. Like, I was like, you have to end this. I'm like, I'm like, okay, thanks. But it was just like, even being able to present, like, I wasn't angry. I wasn't trying to be like, hey, gotcha. I was just like, we're just two religious humans having a discussion. But I think he was trying to pull like the gotcha, like, yeah. well, this thing checkmate atheists or whatever and i'm like what no but it's it's like i'm sorry like we're reading the same bible like i don't was sorry, what was the riddle i don't it was like some it's it was like oh like something like it but I, <laughs> spoiler the answer was coffin i don't remember the setup um but on the poster it also had a picture of a cross on it that and then it pointed away from it it said death and i was like don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it yeah. It's like run away. <laughs> my um, my partner doesn't had no experience in this world and um was was also a scholar of religion and had this opportunity where she would take uh, other scholars from all over the world to like American churches, and one of them was this mega church, and and so when they were going to that one, she was like, "Do you want to come?" I was like, "Nope, I'm not. There's no way I'll do that." She was like, "Are you sure? It looks pretty good. There's gonna like." You know they have coffee and stuff. They have, they have a coffee bar, and I was like, I'm. You, you, I no, would rather <laughs> like have an appendicitis no. right now than go to that. And so she goes yeah. and comes back, and she's like, I was like, how was it? She's like, well, it started out really fun because she grew up Catholic, oh, and yeah. where they had like Latin mass and everything, right? She was like, well, when I got there, I got a latte. I like that. And then there was like a rock band that was pretty cool. But then I started listening to the words and then there was a sermon and then I realized uh, what exactly was going on and I wanted to leave. Right. And I was like, uh-huh. yes, exactly. That, I knew I, I knew how this would play out. And I knew that if I went, I would either get in a big argument or just have to go wait in the car because mm-hmm. no way I can do that again. You know? Yeah. And it's interesting because like it's hard because it's that thing of like, if I have family members going to church or whatever, and like, they know who I am and they invite me, it's like, I want to be able to be be respectful and go. But there's also that thing of like, I can't sit and listen to a lot of this anymore. Like even listening to it is just like, it, it gets that. And I think this is also a result of trauma. It's like that Mm -hmm. fight or flight, fight, flight or freeze where you're just like, I don't know what to do in this moment. I, I, that's exactly what I, you just said everything so much better than I was trying to, I mean, I, whenever I go in those situations now, my body goes into fight, flight or freeze and I mm-hmm. have to like figure yeah, out. Yeah, because we hold to... that trauma like in our bodies, so. Totally, yeah. totally. Right? Like, don't make, I always, like, don't make a scene, like, don't make, you know, in my head, I'm just like, don't make, like, what are we going to do? We got to like, get out of this before things go bad, you know, so. 
Yeah, like I did for like for my choir that I'm in, we did a performance at um, a local church, like they wanted us to perform. And so we did. And it was just interesting being in that sort of space again, and just hearing some of the things Nothing none of it was bad, because it was like, you know, the Christmas service, they're not going to get into any like, hard, quote, unquote, hard truths or anything like that. But it was just like, wow, like this feels weird. And it feels like it's from it, it feels a little bit too familiar in a mm. way and it's like I'm just here to sing and like go home like there's like I'm not connected at all like most of the other people in the choir probably aren't either we're just here to sing have a great time and leave but it's it was just that weird who like this is I don't know of how I don't know mm-hmm. how I'm feeling right now mm-hmm. and, and I feel like my wife could go sit through that and just sort of get through it and like enjoy some of it, like if it, it, hopefully, you know, the sermon may not be great, but I like for me, it's like two minutes into that. I'm like, nope, I, I got to get out of here. Like I got to go yeah. sit in the car or drink coffee and like walk around. Some, there's, I just can't eat. My body will not stay in those. I don't fight. I just, it's all flight. It's all just like, get, get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And it's just also unfortunate too, because it's like looking around as a queer person being like, how many of these humans, if they knew I was queer, yes. would like vote? Who? How many of these people have voted mm-hmm. against me? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the church that we were at, to be fair, was one that some of our choir members go to. Like it was, and so like they've been nothing but kind to me. They've never said anything to my face or anything like that. Um, and it's so funny because they know I have a podcast about this very topic as well, and they're like <laughs> cool with it. Um, but, it's, but it's also that thing of like how many of how many of these people are going to leave one day or how many of these people are here because they are afraid of hell or like Mm. afraid of being disconnected from their family. It's like, it's, and again, maybe I'm overthinking it because again, it's a holiday service. There are going to be more people there anyways, because people want to have church home at Christmas, but like, people who just want to see the choir even. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was just like, a bunch of feelings came up that I didn't realize were going to happen. Also realizing I hadn't been in a traditional church setting in over yep. two years. Yep. Um, so that was very interesting. It's hard. It, it, and I think, you know, it being in our bodies is really the key, right? You never, you never know what your body knows until you're in those mm-hmm. positions. And then your body starts telling you stuff like um, about what it needs, you know, and uh, it's tough. Yeah. Um, when you were kind of on your own, like journey of figuring out what you believed and didn't believe, did you ever have, for lack of a better phrasing, the evangelical guilt of like, I'm asking too many questions or, oh no, like I'm not supposed oh, to yeah. think about I thought, like, I don't like, think about this. I thought or, that yeah. my doubts were so selfish at the beginning. Like I kept, and I like remember read, writing my journal, like God, just take these doubts away. Like yep. <laughs> I didn't want it to be happening. No, I, I had all that. And, you know, what I would do um, as a as a minister, I had Thursdays off. That was my day, like Thursday, Saturday. Right. And mm-hmm. and on Thursdays, um, my my then partner, my wife would go to work. And so I kind of just we I, I had all day and I, I all you know, I just want to read all day. That's who I am. Right. So I'm like, I would just go to the coffee shop with like eight books and read all day. And basically I would just sit there so terrified because in my mind, I was like, this makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that Christianity is this way. 
Mm-hmm. But if I accept that, it means this. It means I have to leave, right, this uh, uh-huh. context. I have to give up this life. I have to admit to myself that everything I've sort of preached and teached, uh, taught has been wrong and I need to totally reorient everything. And so I was scared to death, absolutely scared to death. And, um, you know, just didn't want to face. And I think a lot of people get there and, and, and are just, are just afraid to, to realize the consequences of what they, what they now know, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was, I think like everyone, it's just excruciating. I think going away to Oxford was in some ways so hard because I was so far from anyone that I knew and, it was just a really lonely time in my life, but it was also easier to make a clean break because uh-huh. I was 6,000 miles from home. I could, I could read and think and do whatever I wanted and no one was watching. No one was policing. No one was like interested in, Hey, do you want to get coffee and talk about this? seems like uh-huh. you're on the wrong path. You know, like that yeah. wasn't possible. Um, so in some ways it was like kind of easier, you know what I mean? So it, yeah, it, it, uh-huh looking back on it all, it's hard. And I, I just, I appreciate, you know, both of you and the work you're doing and the journeys you've had and just the ways that you're sharing that with others and like just going through it, you know, and, and ways that are like super courageous and brave. And just, it's, it's, it's really amazing that you're, that you're all doing this. So. Oh, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah we feel the same way about um, your work as yeah, well. Because, because... Again, it's I think, um, Fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of secular America, and that's such a weird Christianese thing, like the secular mm-hmm. world, like secular America is kind or the, of starting the to unchurched, realize, right? <laughs> the yeah, unchurched. the unchurched is like kind of having that realization of what Christian nationalism can actually look like. And again, it's all stuff that's been in preparation. It's all stuff that has been told to us since the beginning. But I think having those sorts of resources and have pe- having people explain like this is what christian nationalism looks like this is what we're taught this is the origins of it i think that is very very helpful like people will kind of know what they're up against and because i I think a lot of also like helpful i think for folks sort of who are coming out of that and deconstructing like to understand where all this came from like because it yeah for me it definitely helped me to understand and come to terms with like I guess the church I grew up in to be able to like see I'm like oh this is what led to them being like this okay mm-hmm. absolutely yeah if, if you can put it in context if you can put it in history it'll help you process what you've been through you know what I mean and so yeah. um so yeah no I, I mean and uh, you know I, I I'm no longer a Christian but my my co-host is and so we've always been a show that's just like all of our work is like not every Christian is a Christian nationalist and not you know really there's some folks out there that are like, all religion should go away. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's, that's it either. Um, it, it's just, you know, if we're going to live in a pluralist society and recognize, uh, who each other are, it means that, you know, some of us are going to land here, some are going to land there, but, um, we can work together and recognize the the threats, which are, uh, uh, real to our democracy and hopefully kind of combat those. So. Absolutely. And I think the other thing as well is, because I think a lot of times other Christians in my life do this of like, well, not all Christians are like that. And it's kind of that no true Scotsman mm-hmm. fallacy. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, sure. You're not like that. But like, and I'm not like that. Um, and a lot of still my Christians, Christians like, I mean, still, we have to just Christians. They're still calling themselves Christians and they have a platform, mm-hmm. which means like, it doesn't matter what you think they are. If they're real Christian, not real Christian, they say they are and they have a platform. So it's like, you have to kind of 
own up to yeah. it and especially if you're brought up in and that environment also too. i say that i'm always like i'm not gonna play the game that they're gonna play of like calling me not a christian you know like i'm not gonna do that then like yeah. i'm not gonna say that no one's someone's not a true christian because that's what they would throw at me so mm-hmm. one and it feels like when it feels like me a straight man being like well not all men and it's like the reaction should be like i need to recognize that like many men blah blah mm-hmm. blah and like what is it that is hurtful and toxic about the ways that masculinity is being performed and um, and exercised in the world rather than like as a Christian or as a, as a straight man, like being, oh, no, not all of us. What? You know what I mean? It's like why the reaction yeah. should be like, why are so many hurt people hurt? You know, yeah. what I mean? and it's like the thing like it's like, yeah, not all men, not all Christians, but enough where it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Um, so anyway, I I just appreciate y'all's perspective and if, for, for me you know i'm an old man and this is like stuff that that really um has shaped my life life for the last 15 years but um you know just talking to you and 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 getting to know your work it's like i know um it's just people you know y- y'all are working through it and it's 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 fairly recent and and it's like a whole new generation of folks who are trying to make their way after um this life and you know i think the kind of stuff that you're doing uh is is just wonderful in terms of helping you know people uh in in that space kind of keep going because it's not easy it, it's really not easy <laughs> so for sure thank you so yes. much yeah. i i like to say that anyone who's gone through like a faith deconstruction deserves like a degree in theology i mean and i'm i'm getting one but <laughs> you know I, it's like i've already done so much fucking research but just a quick thing before you go can you say your social media and like other ways to support you cool Yes, um, I'm at um, our show is Straight White American Jesus, and we're at Straight White JC on Twitter and, and IG. Um, my new book is Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. And uh, it's kind of part memoir and part history. Um, and that's out um, uh, beginning of January, so it should be out now. And um, other than that, uh, you can find me on the podcast a couple times a week and um, and on mainly on Twitter, that's kind of where I hang out. Uh, well, at least for now, who knows? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that was such a cool conversation. You know, it was especially cool to kind of connect with him over Paris. That was like a surprising thing that I was not expecting. Yeah, but... that was that was so fun. <laughs> um. But yeah, again, um, the book's called Preparing for War, um, and it is available now wherever books can be purchased or borrowed. We'll put a link. In yes, Senate. absolutely. And we'll also put a link as to some of the recommendations that were given throughout the episode. Yeah. Um, let's go into high of the week, I guess. Obviously, like conference, but what specific part of conference, Anna? <laughs> Ooh, I feel like I shared this during the recording. Um, it was like the pre-conference. I'm, so, so you're going to hear this again in a month. That pre-conference <laughs> excitement of like being on Facebook and being on Instagram and seeing like on my way to DC, heading to DC, like QCF conference, let's go. And being like, oh my gosh, we're all going to, we're all going to the same place. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> that, that anticipation. Um, and it was anticipation that absolutely paid off. Um, because yeah, just being able to be with everyone was awesome. Also, I think January 6th, 2023, probably one of the best <laughs> days of my better. entire life. 
<laughs> no, yeah, we got to, I mean, we got to have, like, do a live podcast show, and then we saw Semler. Like, yes. And we had one of our friends who we interviewed open for Semler. Like, <laughs> Which is freaking amazing. <laughs> and then, like, I was looking through the photos, and then just our little hotel hangout afterwards was just so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my and- gosh, yes. And meeting Mel, and meeting so many people that, like, I've been following online for years. Yeah. Oh. Also, again, as you are listening to all of this, we... I got back at one in the morning as of recording this. So, and then April got back today, right? Yeah, 1130. 11.30. But I mean, in terms of like talking about Pacific time, I've been up since like 3 a.m. Pacific time. I am so so sorry. (laughs) But yeah, so we're still a bit on that conference high. Yes, definitely. Well, we'll definitely give you a more detailed, we'll give you all a more detailed recap in the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you soon.